Anthony or Oliver Anthony. Uh, He's uh, kind of a big deal right now. He became famous overnight with his song, Rich Men, North of Richmond. It's a protest song against D.C. elites. I I read that not that long ago he had five songs in the top ten. I don't know if it was Billboard or Instagram or whatever the measuring stick was, but that's pretty incredible for this unknown person. And I've listened to several interviews that he's given, and every time he says, I'm a nobody. I'm just an ordinary guy. Nothing special about me at all. In fact, he talks about how messed up his life was for most of his young adult life. But he hit it big, he's become famous, and he'll probably be rich too someday. But he thinks he's ordinary. And that's what people were saying about Jesus' disciples in Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Uneducated, common men. Yet these more sophisticated religious elites were astonished by them. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. And Jesus can change you into someone amazing and astonishing because you've been with Jesus. And he's in you. Matthew seven twenty-eight and 9. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus' words and teaching were astonishing. They were amazing because of the authority he had. In Matthew 12, 22 and 23, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Jesus' miracles were amazing. He had power to heal. Matthew eight twenty seven, And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus' life was amazing, and people marveled. Jesus is amazing. And the more we're with him, his presence inside us makes us amazing too. So let me ask you this morning. Is Jesus amazing to you? Well, some of you may say, well, I don't know about amazing. Interesting, yeah. Yet others would say, yes, he's the most amazing person I've ever met and he's changed my life. What I hear, and sometimes someone will say, yeah, Jesus is amazing. He's so holy and perfect and wonderful. And I'm so small and inadequate And a nobody. And then there becomes a disconnect in their thinking. We see ourselves as sinful and mistake ridden. And Jesus is so holy and perfect and amazing. And I think that can keep us a distant from him. Like I'm maybe not worthy to be with someone so amazing. So if that's you today, I want you to listen up. I want to encourage you today. Let's rewind the clock in time, and go way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve have just been created, no, not born, created by God. They lived in this perfect environment, and they were perfect. They had no sin nature. And God's 
actual presence was walking with them in the cool of the day. Then sin enters. Disobedience. God says, you can have everything in this garden except that. And Satan got them to want that. And so sin entered. And sin creates a separation between us and God. So they hide from God. And eventually God expelled them from the garden. Outside the garden, they multiplied and their descendants multiplied. People began to multiply and congregate together. And they built a big tower because they wanted to replace God at the Tower of Babel. So God came down and separated them and scattered them. And, of course, we have the rebellion of the flood. We see over and over through those three falls, as it were, the Garden of Eden, the flood, and the Tower of Babel, that sin comes in and it separates people from God. And so that's why God sent his son, Jesus, to reconcile us back to God. Sin is still around. You and I know all about that because we sin, too. Sometimes we do it deliberately. Others times we do it in weakness because we've been tricked. Or maybe we make a mistake. We tried our best, but we just weren't good enough. Have you said anything in this past week or maybe month that was just mean and hurtful to someone? This past week or so, did you have an impure thought just come across your mind? Did you get angry this past week where you're driving and maybe someone pulled out in front of you and you waved to them, but with one finger? So I want to share a story in the Bible with you about a lady who had a checkered past, but whom Jesus turned into someone amazing. John chapter four, verses three and four. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria So Jesus is in Judea in the south, and he needs to get to Galilee in the north. So anyone know what's in between those two places? Samaria. Now, many Jews walked around Samaria, even though it was way out of their way, because they hated the people there. The Samaritans were half Jewish and half something else. They were despised and hated and rejected. For a Jewish person to have close contact with a Samaritan made him or her unclean. So that's why they avoided them. No Jew had to go through Samaria. But the text says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Do you know why he had to pass through Samaria? Because there was a person there who needed him. A lady who was very down on herself. Who was ordinary. Who was a nobody who was used up and cast out. Jesus wanted to take this nobody and turn her into someone amazing. So what do we see from our text? Jesus meets you where you are. It doesn't matter where you're at this morning. And he doesn't require you come to him in a certain fashion. You don't have to show up in the temple in Jerusalem and make an appointment. He came to her at a well. You don't have to go to church or a synagogue. You can meet Jesus anywhere. Verses 5 and 6. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. 
So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. It was a well. It could be anywhere outside. You, you could meet Jesus in a field or out in nature on a walk. You could meet him at your school. You could meet him in, in your bedroom some evening. The most boring moment and place of your life, you could meet him. For me, it was the Canton Baptist Temple on July 31st, 1977. But you know what? He really showed up six days before that. I had a mild overdose from smoking PCP, angel dust. I don't even know if that's still around. But my heart was racing. I thought I was going to die. So I, I cried out to the Lord, save me, help me. And nothing immediately changed for six days. And then I met some guys who invited me to church, and I went to church with them that morning at Canton Baptist Temple. I had been in church in seven or eight years. I was 19 years old. And that morning, I met Jesus. And I realized that day that I couldn't go lower than Jesus was able to lift me out of that pit. And he, told, he changed my life, and he could change yours as well. He met a woman at a well and changed her into someone amazing. Verses 7 through 10. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So we see that a woman from town comes to the well to draw water. And you know what? That well is still there today. You could visit it. Just a simple daily task this woman was doing. But the text tells us it was the sixth hour. And that, that's an important thing to note because that's noon in the way time was reckoned. Then 6 a.m. was the first hour, so the sixth hour would be noon, the hot part of the day. So culturally, in that place and time, women always came to the well together for safety reasons. And also, they would come early morning when it was cooler. But she came by herself at noon, the hot part of the day. So what does that tell you about her? Right? She was not the most popular person in town. No one wanted to be around her. She didn't come to the well with the other ladies because they didn't want to be around her because of her past. And she probably felt her own sense of guilt and shame because of her lifestyle. So she wanted to be alone. She asked, Jesus asked her for a drink, which surprised her because Jewish men didn't talk to Samaritans, much less Samaritan women, much less a person like her. But Jesus isn't like other men. He talked to women as persons. He wasn't sexist or racist. He loved everyone. And she knew right away that he was a Jew because of the way he dressed, the way he looked, the way he spoke. And so she must have known he'll hate me, too, because of who I am as a Samaritan woman. But he didn't. She was surprised. I think what he said in verse 10 to her would have puzzled her. 
And we know that she didn't quite understand when he said about the gift of God and living water. So let me paraphrase. Lady, if you only knew who I was, I'm God in the flesh. If you knew that, then you would ask me for something more than a drink of water. Because I have something that only I can give you that will change your life forever. Certainly more than that drink of water you're looking for. So God meets us right where we're at. And he has something for us. He has a gift for us, something good, something that will change our lives into something amazing. I know she didn't expect to meet a man at a well at noon that day who would change her life. But Jesus knew it. Jesus wants you to have peace. That's the second thing I get out of this story. Jesus wants you to have peace. Now, verses 11 through 15, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I've never met anyone that did not want peace in their life. Wholeness, tranquility, true life. And people today out in the world are the same way. They, they lack peace in their life. Their life is full of turmoil. They're, they're, they're anxious. They're confused about themselves and who they are. So Jesus has something for us, too, that the world can't give. He'll give you true peace within life that will quench your unquenchable thirst. He is what you're truly searching for. Some people think it's in power. If only I could get that position of power, then my thirst inside would be quenched. Or if only I could get that job, then I'd have peace or wealth. If only the stock market would keep going up, then I'd have life or achievement or just meet that special person or whatever. When the only thing that can truly quench your inner need is a relationship with Jesus. You've been trying lots of things, maybe religion, maybe people, and you're still thirsty. It's found in spending time with Jesus. I would say right now is a good time in my life. With Kathy, our two sons, our daughter-in-law, and our granddaughter. I think we have peace in our life. Of course, we're concerned about my dad and Kathy's mom and sister, but it, it's good. We have peace. I think it's because Jesus is the center. You know, we just look to him. And maybe you are struggling this morning in a relationship with an adult child or your parents or your friends. And you're looking for peace. Well, Jesus has something that he can give you. He wants to give you that peace, that life. 
Here's another thing from our story. Jesus wants you to move past your failures. Number three, Jesus wants you to move past your failures. Verses 16 to 24, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you were right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to her, sir, said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Talk about cutting out all the small talk. Jesus took the water imagery and metaphor and put it in the refrigerator and he got his knife out maybe a sword why because he knows everything about her and he wants to get to the heart of the matter so she can truly receive that living water and i love her reaction in verse 19 you must be a prophet talk about captain obvious (laughs) and i like what she does next dodge Deflect. Change the subject. Let's not talk about my life, my husband's. Let's talk theology. What's your take on the worship wars? Why does she do that? Because suddenly it became too personal and intense. And I found that in sharing the gospel with others. They'd rather argue some obscure point in the Bible rather than deal with their own sin. So they deflect. But so do we. We deflect, too, when something someone says to us or the Holy Spirit speaks into our heart or we read something in Scripture and suddenly this is a little too uncomfortable for me. So I want to change the subject. God is honing in on something, putting his finger on something, and we kind of want to deflect to something safer. So Jesus mentions her five husbands, and that got her attention. It proved to her who he really was. But you notice there, he doesn't stay on that point. I hope you saw that. He doesn't harp on it over and over again, like what a miserable person you are. How you've really messed your life up and messed up the lives of those five other guys, too. He didn't focus on her past life at all from the one point which got her attention. But he moved into the future and the worship of God. Here's God's true son, the son of God, standing in the midst of a sinful person. And he had to cross all kinds of barriers that men erect to get to this conversation like race and gender and religion to show this woman how much God truly loves her. That she is worthy. She's an amazing person and beautiful. God doesn't focus on our past, but on our future. Fourth thing I see from this story. 
Jesus wants you to know who he really is. The Messiah. Verse 25 and 6. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So she had some idea about the Messiah, the Christ, because it had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Her Bible was just the first five books. Genesis through Deuteronomy, Samaritans rejected the rest of the Old Testament canon of Scripture. But from those first five books, she at least had a little inkling that the Christ was coming, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And then Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. And this is very early in Jesus' ministry. He hasn't been revealing this to people yet. And so he tells her as one of the first persons that he made crystal clear who he was. That's pretty neat. It's a declaration of deity that he's making here to her. He doesn't say, I'm a prophet, I'm a good teacher, I'm a rabbi, I'm a priest, I'm a good man. I'm the son of God, the savior of the world, the one who's going to rule the world. So what are we going to do with that announcement that he makes to us? This is the biggest question of life. Someone might say to you, wow, I've met a lot of amazing people in my life. Well, who made them? Or I've had an amazing career. Well, good for you. Who gave you your abilities? So, you can list anything and it all comes back to God because he's really the amazing one. And he wants you to know who he really is today, the Messiah, the Savior. Not just for intellectual reasons, but for spiritual reasons. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to be close with him. And he wants to relate to you. So, where are you with this amazing Jesus? Are you following him? Are you following him today? Pursuing him? Going hard after him? Living for him? Well, that's great. I am so glad to hear that. So, I have an action step for you. John four twenty-eight to 30. So, the woman left her water jar and went away into town And said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So the action step is to leave your jar and tell others. The reason she came to the well was to get water. So she brought her water jar. And it says that she got so excited to go tell other people about Jesus that she left her jar. The reason why she came to the well in the first place. She was excited about Jesus. Are you? Am I? And then others came. The whole town came out. Talk about an evangelist. This is one of the greatest revivals in the Bible, led by a Samaritan woman who was despised by everybody. Talk about an amazing revivalist. It's her. But what's true of us is many of us, we get saved and then what happens? We get comfortable. You know, we just kind of get into our Christian clubs. We love Jesus, but we keep him to ourselves. So get out there where there's some thirsty people. Well, if I'm out there, what would I say? Well, what did Jesus do here? 
He was friendly. You can be friendly, can't you? Are you friendly? He cared for her. He asked questions about her life. He told her who he was. You know, I think sometimes we put pressure on ourselves like, I've got to convince them. I've got to be so convincing and compelling that they're going to want to get saved. And I, we just put all this pressure on it. I think that's the Holy Spirit's job. You know, isn't our job just to say, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's done for me. He's changed my life. So what I'd like you to do, if you're in this category, you're following him, is if the Lord opens the opportunity, tell someone about Jesus this week. Just who he is to you. Now, if you get to Saturday at midnight and you say, man, I haven't told anybody about Jesus this week. I got to get in my car and I got to go to some place, maybe a bar that's open and tell somebody, well, maybe that'd be a good thing. But the Lord, just just see if the Lord doesn't open up some opportunity for you this week to tell somebody about him. Okay, here's a second. Maybe you're here, this person. Maybe you're stagnant right now. You're not where you want to be with the Lord. Well, at least you realize that, you know, you're not the first Christian in history who's ever been in a rut spiritually, and you probably won't be the last. So what you need to do if you're the stagnant Christian today is change your focus. What was her focus? Getting water. Then what became her focus? Relating to Jesus and knowing him. So she left her water pot and went to for Jesus. So leave your substitutes. What are you substituting for Jesus? That's why you're in a rut spiritually. Because you're you're not made. You haven't made him the center of your life anymore. You made something else the center. So go back and read the Gospels again. Maybe go back and read what you underlined years ago. As Bill McCoy's friend, I think, said, the red letters. Maybe it was his dad. He told me that this week. He said, Bill, just go back and read the red letters. What Jesus said. That blessed you at one time. It'll bless you again. Maybe if you were a journal taker back then, go back and read some of your old journals. Do you have any of your old Christian music from way back when, when you were blessed by that? Go back and listen to that. Remember when you were saved and how much the Lord did for you and how excited you were and on fire you for the Lord you were when you first got saved? Go back and remember that. So if that's where you're at today, pick one of those things that I just suggested or or something else that will cause you to go back and think about where you were at when you were on fire. And here's the third kind of person. Maybe you're questioning today. The townspeople were. And here's the report in John 4:42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. So the townspeople, they were curious. They had questions. They wanted to know. Here's this woman who they look down on and don't think very highly of telling them about this person who told me everything. Could he be the Christ? What did they do? They investigated. They asked questions. They sought it out. So if this is where you're at today, I encourage you to do the same thing. 
Investigate. Keep asking questions. Talk to me. Talk to somebody in here today. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if he's not your Lord and Savior, keep searching, keep seeking, keep asking questions. But I can tell you this. If Jesus is who he really says he is, and he is, you won't be disappointed. It will be worth your time to search and seek and investigate. And maybe you're ready to say yes to Jesus today. So as we close with prayer, I want to ask you that. Give you an opportunity with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here today and you're ready, you're like the woman at the well. You've been seeking for a while. Today's your day. Today's the day of salvation for you. If this is you today, just slip up your hand. And say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want to make a commitment of my life to Jesus Christ to be my Savior. You've not done that before. Is there anybody that needs to do that today? Okay. Lord, I'm I'm thankful for this story in the Gospels of this woman. The other Gospel writers uh, don't include this. I'm glad John did. It's a a beautiful story. I think we all can identify in some way. Maybe not exactly we've done what this woman did, but other things. We're not better than her. When you saved us, thank you for doing that. Thank you for meeting us at our well and showing us who you are and inviting us to know you. We would have just gone about getting our water and going on with our miserable life. But you were rich in mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. And now, Lord, help us be influential and amazing in the lives of others who may not know you. Or if they do, they need brought along in the faith. And we can help them. Help use us this week to be amazing in someone's life because the amazing one is in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.